Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yasset, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Gavin Grenville-Wood. Gavin is not your typical guest that you see on the show, um, and quite simply because he's not a football coach, he's not no football background specifically, um, but we'll find out a little bit more about that. But before we get into the heart of the conversation, Gavin, I'm going to hand over to you, maybe give yourself an opportunity to just share with, with the listeners and viewers a bit about yourself and we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, excited to, uh, to draw out this conversation and maybe look at things from a different perspective for, for your listeners. Um, as uh, most of the listeners, I'm, I'm sure uh, everybody's uh, mad, passionate about all sorts of different sports, and I'm no exception to that. Um, it just so happens that golf was uh, was my mechanism. Um, I played a few sports to a fairly decent level. Cricket um, certainly was an option for me to take up professionally. Um, that didn't happen for one reason or another, but um, hockey played fairly decent standard of that. Um, but really my, my coaching, um, love affair began, um, in the early nineties, but that wasn't without a very, very early baptism of fire. When I first turned pro in golf, you turn pro, uh, as an apprentice, you work for a qualified professional, and then you start to go through the PGA qualification, um, on a work placement at a club. But um, this was back in 1989 and um, <clears throat> it was my second week of work. And the head pro said to me, um, would I get the bucket of golf balls and some of the five irons that were in the back 
load them up onto the golf buggy and then drive down to the 16th hole of the golf course, at which point on the right-hand side, you'll see a gap in the hedge that will take you through into the field of the secondary school. And uh, he said, you'll see um, Mr. Jones, I think was the PE teacher. He'll meet you down there, he said, and um, you'll just do some golf coaching for the kids. I'm like, okay, sounds good to me. I was pretty shy back in those days. So uh, drove down there and Mr. Jones was there with two classes of kids. And please bear in mind that at this point, I'm 17 years old, right? The kids that were there were 15 years old. It was just complete and utter carnage. I'm surprised nobody died or that no windows were broken. And we were in the school field with real golf balls, real clubs, no idea on what to do, no structure. Nobody learned anything. They were just whacking a golf ball. And it was really dangerous, actually. So that was my first baptism into coaching. And, and it certainly wasn't a positive one. Um, you know, it gave me nightmares for a few days after. Um, and I didn't really think it was something I wanted to do. Of course, at that age, we all had aspirations of playing and I still did. Um, but one thing led to another and I went to university. Um, and it was during the summer that I went and did an exchange program out to the States um, with a golf academy. And this was quite interesting um, because it was a professional organization um, with professional coaches, all of whom had a great structure. Um, and in the mornings, we'd do technical development. And then after lunch, we'd go and chaperone the kids around the golf course. And they were there for weeks at a time. So you had time to work with the same group for, for the six-day period. But just the idea of that meant that you had to build relationships and really start to help them. Despite the fact I wasn't formally trained, I knew obviously how to play. Um, not suggesting that, that the way I delivered any of my instruction was particularly good. And I don't think it really got that good for many, many years. But that really lit the fire inside me. And um, although I didn't want to go back into the PGA and, and take up my apprenticeship again, partly because it only paid £45 a week, not sure that many people can live on that. Um, it was only because I found a, a really great opportunity. Didn't know how great it was going to be, actually, but this job came up in uh, in Wandsworth, this place called the Central London Golf Centre. Absolute dog track of a golf course. It was um, basically due to landfill. They turned it from football fields into a nine-hole golf course and they converted the bowling green into a 45-yard long driving range that was completely um, covered on all sides by netting. Uh, had 13 stations from which people could hit golf balls. And, and I just basically winged it as I was going through my PGA qualification. And I was never taught how to teach. That's really interesting from the PGA. I was only ever given the technical content, which I needed to teach, never how to teach. And I think what um, really stood me in good stead was that I never focused a whole lot on the technical side, but I always had a great rapport with the students and with the kids. And that's where I built my first junior academy. And it, and it grew to having over 400 kids a week come in for lessons. And part of the, the reasons for that success in the early years, despite my lack of technical uh, nous, really, was the structure of the program, my interaction with the kids and the parents, and the encouragement that they got, and marginal improvement. And, and that marginal improvement, you could probably just put down to kids getting a little bit older, a little more athletic, and spending a little bit more time playing this particular sport. 
So absolutely zero credit to my coaching ability or my technical knowledge at that time. So that's really the background in the in the early years. And um, it all kind of grew from there. And if we fast forward to where I am today, which is head of junior education for the Ledbetter Golf Academy, I write education for coaches to learn from now. But I went into this job really unsure and and um, with not a whole lot of confidence because I, I still felt that I wasn't uh, I didn't have a valid voice in in the world of coaching. So I probably spent a good eighteen months to two years. This was back in twenty eighteen, really trying to validate who I was as a coach and actually going back and documenting what I had learned as a coach uh, on the job, uh, things that I did, the reasons behind my success, the reasons behind my failures, and actually tried to apply some modern research from experts in the world of coaching and child education and try and marry the two together. And what gave me confidence was that there was almost complete synergy with how I did things and how the experts found that things needed to be done. So it's really from that position I've been able to create various learning opportunities for golf coaches around the world to uh, to learn from. So Gavin, you know, you, you, thank you, first of all, for that, you know, really, really insightful element of your journey so far. But, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that I found really interesting, I think, um, just to kind of pick up on. First of all, you know, your experience going in as a young player, um, albeit, you know, in a sport that's an individual sport, um, first, I want to kind of maybe get your insights around what impact do you, do you think that your experiences prior to the, prior to going into coaching had for you in terms of what you thought coaching would be, if that makes sense. Obviously, you've been thrown into this, you know, into these opportunities through your apprenticeship, and then decided actually it might not even be for you. Well, what was that initial perception of what coaching should and could look like? How did that then change? Obviously, once you then started kind of getting involved in it, and then did you did you start to maybe think that maybe some of the things that you'd had been had been done onto you in terms of how you've been coached? Actually, I don't know why that was happening. Did you have any questions like that? And you know, that, that's probably the first piece. And the second piece I want to kind of pick up on is you talk there about getting almost, if you like, taught the what, but never shown the how. Mm. Um, something which, which you know, it seems like is quite consistent across a lot of different sports. Mm-hmm. If you go back a couple of decades, um, and things have obviously changed a lot now. Um, I can't speak for the golf industry, but I know within football in particular, it's very much moved into a, a space where actually is very much more so about the how and the why. If anything, just as importantly, or if not more importantly than the what itself. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting um, that the biggest irony with all of this is that the, the sport that I've had the least amount of coaching in is golf, um, especially in those early years. I didn't have a golf lesson for maybe seven years, and I always had aspirations of playing. And, and I guess that changed when I took this role at the Central London Golf Centre because it, my first day at work, I didn't know what to expect, right? So bear that in mind. Um, but my first day of work was a Saturday. And um, I didn't, I, we literally didn't have anything. Me and my wife at the time, we were, or my wife-to-be at the time, we were living in a single 
room bed sit in Hounslow. And I had just finished working for DHL night shift while she was working days in an office in London. And we were just trying to get through one week at a time, not really knowing what we wanted to do. And I said, this job came up and it was a Saturday that my first shift was. And this guy walked into the shop, which I was manning at the time. My boss wasn't there. And he said, uh, is anyone here? Give me a golf lesson. I'm like, yeah, OK, I will. And so I shut the shop and just walked out to the driving range and delivered this golf lesson for an hour. And um, I don't know why he found it quite good, but he did. And then he paid me for six lessons up front. And then literally 10 minutes after he left, another one came in and did almost exactly the same thing. So I didn't know how much to charge or what to do. But all I remember is sat on the train from uh, Earlsfield back out to Hounslow, um, counting £400 in £20 notes on the train, thinking, oh, my God, I have just hit the jackpot. And it was just a, it was a real aha moment for me. And actually, something that has to really be the backbone of all golf coaches. And I appreciate other sports are different and golf coaches are compared to most other coaches paid really well. Um, but with golf coaching specifically, uh, a sustainable business model means that the golf coach has to be earning money. Otherwise they will revert back to doing something else. And so development and participation, particularly at the younger age groups, will just shift to one side and people will go and just do one-to-one -one lessons to adults. So those are the challenges that we have and, and golf coaches aren't particularly great business people. And, and maybe sports coaches aren't particularly great business people, but the golfing model is, is um, as I'm sure you're aware, very different. But that was the realization for me that I could make a living. <clears throat> and I got into trouble, of course, for closing the shop for two hours which is what it is. But then in terms of teaching kids, again, it just happened, right? This um, Thomas Banner with this, was this seven-year-old kid at the time, bit of a, bit of a loose cannon, um, but we got on quite well. And his mother came up to me um, before the lesson goes, do you mind if Thomas brings three of his friends? They all want to learn together. And I'm like, um, okay, but I'll have to charge you more. Because I thought, well, if I'm just charging him 20 pounds for the lesson, then there's three kids. I'm not just going to charge 20 quid. So I came up with a price. And that was actually the birth of, of the after school club. And from that day, it basically grew to having these 400 kids that we would see for lessons. And, and that's a combination of going out into the community, spending time at schools. But at the golf center itself, there's about 250 that came every week. And we did that in group lesson format. And so the yield per hour was um, was really high and I was making a really good living. Equally, at the same time, I was trying to play for a living and it became really challenging. And um, during that time, I got married and had kids really early. And ultimately, I had to make the decision that I couldn't continue playing partly because I wasn't very good. Um, I mean, I'm slightly psychotic when it comes to playing. I have... <laughs> I didn't have much technical coaching, but I had to have lots of psychology sessions and I had to get a psychologist to help me with hitting a golf ball into the sun and hitting a golf ball into the wind. And the third one was when I could see my shadow in front of me as I'm trying to swing. It's all crazy stuff, right? But 
it's just how bonkers my brain was. So I did come to the conclusion fairly quickly that I didn't quite have the mental fortitude to make it as a, as a professional golfer. Um, and I had some, I had some mild success, but nowhere near what is required to make it uh, profitable. So I, I basically quit playing, did the odd pro-am event with, um, with friends and um, students, but ultimately became a full-time coach really in the year 2000. Um, and I moved to America in 2002, um, spent eight years there. And again, just continued to flood my, my brain with um, experiences and understanding of, of how things are done, whether they were good or bad. And as I look back upon my whole career to this point, having consistently been coaching now for over 25 years, there have been some really bad experiences and some really good ones. But all of them, when you look back, are really positive because they shape who I've become. And I couldn't be who I am today without those negative experiences and however bad it was at the time. And there was a couple of really dodgy situations. I really value having been through that because as I say, that, that knowledge really helps shape the way that you, uh, you come out the other side. So yeah, certainly very interesting. No, definitely. There's a, there's a lot in there, but you know, one of the key things I kind of really picked up is that, you know, in the first instance, you weren't too sure what it was that made it a fun yeah. or enjoyable lesson. So I guess so over the years and you know, through reflection, have you ever, have you ever been able to find out what that is? And, you know, beyond that, how, how just how important do you see that technical information over that psychological piece that you talked about or that social piece yeah. that you mentioned regarding the young players? Cause you know, where we're at now, you it's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, obviously you're working in it with, with a small group, but very much it's still an individual sport. So, you know, what impact does that have on the way that you de deliver that session? What impact does that have in terms of how, you, you share your messages and you work with the individuals within it as opposed to, right, here's a collective mm. for the group, if that makes sense. Because typically, yeah. and you, you feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not really a sport where you're going to get any other, any interferences from under other individuals. So how do you then recreate a game like or, or, or you know, the real environment? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot in what you've just said. Um, I mean, if, if I just reference the main piece of coach education I've, I've written, there are, there are four basic modules. Um, the first one focuses on the athlete. The second focuses on the coach. The third focuses on the business. And the fourth module focuses on the parents. But within that, learning course for coaches which could take between 45 and 60 hours to complete so it's fairly comprehensive but there is so little technical input in there it's really all about creating an environment building a culture and truly understanding the one individual that's in front of you despite the fact that that one individual might be part of a group of 12 kids each child will have a different experience with the sport or with the moment that you create during any time during a session that you put on. And so it's important to create different opportunities for them to engage. Um, this notion of kids having learning styles for me is, is completely out of the window. And bear in mind, I'm not the sports psychologist. I don't have a PhD, but from what I've researched and from what I've studied, it, it, it doesn't really tune into how I've experienced kids pick up new skills. 
And I think that what I'm about to say can relate across all sports because it's the it's the way I'm taking golf coaching forward and it's the way I feel that golf coaches need to evolve and, and start to develop their, their own process of creating the environment, creating an experiential uh, environment for the kids or indeed the adults within their sessions. So I think for, for me, again, regardless of the sport, the first thing you have to present when the kids or your students come for the lesson, you can do a warm up, that's fine. But the first part main content of the lesson is that you've got to pose a question or you've got to create a challenge, which the kids are then given time to find their own appropriate solutions for. So it could be anything, right? It could be kicking a ball into the net. It could be holding a six foot putt. It could be hitting a forehand over the net. It doesn't matter, right? Whatever the challenge is. But the thing is for me, you've got to give them an opportunity to figure out what it is you want them to do because allowing a child to be creative in that solution finding process, for me, it's the most important link in the chain. And I refer to this as making a deposit into the bank of engagement, because when a child overcomes a, a challenge or an obstacle, what do they, what do they remember most? Do they remember the fact that they might've won a Mars bar? Or are they going to remember the fact that they felt it in their heart and it was soulful and it was deep and that sense of achievement, that sense of, my, I just did that. Wow, I did that. Um, for me, it's that that's the most fascinating thing about it. And we often don't know the result of bad process or I'm going to say bad coaching until it's too late. It might be four years down the line that the results of you doing things the wrong way will be that that child just quits and moves on to another sport because they're not engaged. So every single week that these kids come for, for, for lessons or, or for sessions, whatever it is, and please bear in mind as well that as coaches, we're very lucky if we see these kids for more than two, three hours a week. Football is, is maybe closer to the three, four hours with, with maybe one practice session, one match per week. Golf, it could be an hour. Um, and this is where we have to engage parents the right way because the parents have the strongest voice in that child's head. Um, but when you spend such little time with these kids, our message has to be really powerful, but powerful in the fact of its simplicity. And we are trying to, to make these kids feel like they are in charge of their journey and in charge of their learning process of acquiring new skills. Um, and that for me is really simple in, in terms of create this challenge or obstacle, this game or this question, give the kids time and an opportunity to find their own solution. And actually, if you've built the relationship enough, and you don't have to go too deep into that, but if you've built the relationship enough, then the kids will see you as the coach as part of that solution. And then as soon as they start asking a question, that is almost your invitation to start coaching and to help providing them with solutions. And you're, you're indirectly handing the power over to the kid because the kid's in charge of what they want to know, right? They want to know, why, why, why is it not going in, coach? Why, why can't I get it in the goal? Why can't I get it over the net? Why can't I hit it in the hole? Um, and you might respond with a further set of questions. Well, how are you missing it? Are you hitting it over the bar? Are you hitting it in the net? Are you hitting it too hard? What can you do to affect that? You know, are you missing to the left? Are you missing to the right? You know, what can you do to make that different next time you hit a shot? So it's 
It's trying to give them the opportunity to find their own solutions. Even when they ask you a question, I often respond with another question to get them thinking. I certainly don't want to, um, to, to be giving them the answers. And just on a slight sideline, I, I think it's relevant at this point. Um, my eldest is a professional athlete, plays golf for a living. And my youngest is studying sports science and, and coaching at university. Um, so they're both really good athletes and good sportsmen in their own rights. But the biggest regret I have as a parent and as their foundational coach, both in football, because I coached them in football and in golf, is that I've just been too guilty of taking the easy route too often in terms of giving them the answers or not making them work hard enough for the solution. And I wish I would have prolonged it and, and done a better job of that because mm. I think uh, things, not that things have turned out bad, not, not, not at all, but I think that um, there would have been a difference in, in how they perceive things going forward. And, and maybe it wouldn't be so difficult at certain moments now when things don't go quite right. Um, it just means I think that it's going to take a little bit longer ultimately for them to get to where they need to get to. So that's quite an interesting observation, really looking back at that. And I wish I'd have been different and, and lot, I guess, more disciplined as a parent and a coach. Yeah, no, no thank you for sharing. I was in, there's, a, there's a lot in there. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really um, pleasing to hear is that it's, it's pretty much, it's not too dissimilar to the way I approach um, sport itself. But the thing is, it really much explains why there is almost a lack of, of if you like technical information going into the process now that doesn't mean that the process isn't technical and i think this is where a lot of people uh, you know have to kind of look at what's going on and then try and understand it better so for me i'll give you an example you know you talk there about some of the questions that you might ask a, a young player or an athlete around not so much making it right or wrong but making it Right. Let's let's self-reflect it. Let's reflect a bit more. Create a develop develop a, a greater sense of self-awareness, not just of yourself, but actually of you know, a, a, and develop an understanding of what you perceive that action to have been. So for me, you know, one of the questions, uh, similar to what you said, you know, I'll often will stay right. Here's the task. This is what I'm. This is what I'm hoping to um, work on today. Um, this is why. Right. Let's crack on. Simple as that. I'm not going to give you any more detail. I'm not going to give you anything else. Um, mm -hmm. I might throw in a question there just to get, you know, plant the seed and get you thinking. And that question could be as simple as well. I just want you to have to think about what the, what the variables are here that might have an impact on whether you get success or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, yes, but when I was at school and I was forced to do something and I didn't know the reasons why, I, I wouldn't be bothered. It. I wouldn't do yeah, it. Just didn't make any sense to me. A hundred percent. It's interesting you say that because I was literally having this conversation a couple of days ago. I said, look, I, I'm, I'm very open to learning. I'm open to new ways of working, new ways of doing things. But if you're going to get me to do something, you have to let me know why. Because yeah. if I don't understand why off my own back or even through you, I ain't going to do it. Exactly. It just exactly. makes sense. Like, why am I going to do something aimlessly? Now, I don't have to agree with your why. But if I can see the sense in it or the logic in how you've presented it, then that I can work with that. Mm -hmm. I might not agree with it. I might have my own methods and that's fine too. But if you, if you can't even establish for me what the why is, I, you ain't going to get my buy-in. And I think that's really, really important. So yeah. one of the key things I often say to the players that I work with is when we're going through a process is, right, rather than give you specific technical details, it might be, right, okay, Gavin, we've just done this repetition. 
I want you to let me know what do you think I might say off the back of that what are the key things that I would talk about? What are the key things that you think will make a difference there? And that could be if it's gone well, if it hasn't gone well. And if it has gone well, I, I might throw in a couple of different questions. Okay, well, Gav, what do you think has allowed you to be successful in that moment? Maybe what are one or two things that if they weren't present in that instance would actually have an impact on whether you'd be successful mm -hmm. or not? And just really start to get you to understand the wider context of what's actually happening. Because my belief is, and it's interesting, I was having this conversation um, a few weeks ago. And I said, look, I can't explain it. I've not studied this. I've not, I don't know the science behind it. I don't know the research behind it. But what I do know is it, this method that I'm applying, it's working. It's helping the players become better at problem solving because they're actually understanding what the problems are without me having to identify it for them. But possibly sometimes guiding them to it or in some cases, just asking them one or two questions, which gets them to focus on the necessary pieces of what's going on. And again, that's subjective as well, because it's what I consider to be necessary, but then it's also flipping it in, in some ways and asking them the question, right, what do you think is important here? And reason why I think that is so crucial is because we need to understand how they perceive it before we can then influence it. Because mm -hmm. we might be influencing something that doesn't need influencing. Yeah. And the other piece I always come back to is, right, if they're able to identify and address the problem, um, they're halfway there. Mm -hmm. Not knowing the problem and having some solutions for it, it's, you're going to be hitting and missing. I'd rather you don't have a solution right now, but you've understood the problem because then that gives us something to kind of delve deeper into and actually discuss further. So, you know, in terms of that, how would that present itself in your environment? What are your thoughts on that approach? Because it seems like quite quite aligned in, in that way of thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, you know, I, I, I split golf coaching into two sections. And again, I don't think it's too dissimilar to most sports. So I'll have the foundational years for me, which is five to 12. And then um, I guess the more advanced years from, from teenagerism upwards. Um, that 12-year-old athlete, I want them to be primarily responsible athletes. So they accept responsibility for the direction that they're going in. And I think it's a, it's a process that happens over a period of time. It's not something that you can do in six months. It's got to be longer than that. But all these moments where you're instilling these great values of, of self-awareness and ownership um, as I said, responsibility. Um, you want them to, to be prepared for, for how they transition from the relationship that they've built with the sport in these foundational years to how it infinitely changes when they become teenagers. All right. I think we've, we've seen young boys and girls go transition through that. And those that accept it and, and, and do have an element of responsibility tend to thrive they, they tend to accept what's coming because the relationship with the sport the way that you have fun through sport invariably diverts to the result of competition when they're when they're teenagers your enjoyment comes to performing well as opposed to just taking part and having fun with your mates that that's kind of the difference between the two so we have to do everything in our power to provide them with the opportunity to develop these skills. Um, and I, I, I hesitate, I had a great conversation with, 
with a colleague of mine um, last week. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. About life skills and life skills are an adult perceived scenario. Right. Um, and I think it's really difficult to implement life skills to an eight year old. Um, it doesn't make sense, but you can teach a child about honesty. You can teach a child about respect and you can develop the sense of responsibility for certain tasks like putting the equipment away or getting the equipment out or, you know, how they talk to each other. Things like that you can do. And I, I wouldn't let's say put that under life skills as such and we're not even sure what the terminology is but it's all about creating this young athlete that can evolve into the teenager and the young adult over those next you know seven eight years um and it, it all kind of gets mushed in together really and that environment that you create as a coach really has to nurture that and to feed that um and i think it starts by building your culture on the back of a, having a great physical environment and Golf coaches don't necessarily have great environments. Some do. Football coaches have a football field. Not necessarily anything more special than that. But, you know, when you walk out of the changing room or, or you walk onto the driving range, um, you suddenly you have to feel something. When you, when you see the coach or you see the activities set up, you have to feel that you're part of something and that you're there for a particular outcome every single week. So it's, it's a collective process isn't it over weeks months and years uh, as to the young athletes that we want to create um it's been really interesting having being the, the parent of a an elite level athlete looking at where he is now and actually looking at what we did growing up um it's been really really interesting and, and I'm, i've been a a shocking parent i've been a shocking coach on many many occasions and actually when i did my uefa license this is really funny um I was coaching and getting paid for football coaching in America, in, in Savannah, Georgia. And they, I mean, the Americans didn't know a whole lot about it back in the early 2000s. And so the fact that you spoke English, you know, gave you a certain sense of credibility, even though it was probably complete nonsense. But part of the, of the, um, of the two-day course that we did um, involved us being filmed coaching. And I 
can't believe that. Well, I can. But I was the first one whose video was played in front of the whole class. And I, and I remember just kind of zipping my jacket up a little bit and just kind of sliding under the desk because what I was watching was just, it was an X-rated coaching movie. It was horrendous. It was awful. And I mean, the way I spoke to the kids was absolutely disgusting. And it was, it was great. Ultimately, looking back, it was one of those negative experiences that was so positive in the end. But that for me was a, a line drawn straight. That's it. After that day, I, I know I physically changed. And the beauty of it is that um, my golf coaching changed as well. And there's two completely different sports. And I interacted with each sport completely differently. But I still made a, a conscious effort to, to, to change the way I, I came across, but certainly with, uh, with football, it was really aggressive. Um, always shouting at the kids, always shouting at the referee. I mean, I have no idea what, I, I do know how those kids felt because I, there was just obviously confusion going on, mixed messages. And then of course, behind the parents, because they see you doing what you're doing, the parents feel it's all right to, to do the same thing. So you've got, you know, 20 different voices all bellowing out towards these poor kids on the field who have absolutely no idea which instruction to take. And then we shout at them when they're confused or indecisive about what they were doing. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, I should have created a culture whereby uh, we simply let the kids play. We gave them a basic plan, a basic strategy, um, and let them go and do it and then review it at half time, get them to tell us what was going on and what they could do to possibly make some changes, let them feel like they were in charge and let the parents know that that's what the process was. And then you constantly refer back to it when you're doing your coaching sessions and then you go again and it's a, it's, it's a revolving process. So that was certainly an interesting moment um, watching myself coach on video. Um, yeah. Certainly wasn't good at the time, that's for sure. I think you know you made a great point there, and it was, it was going to be one of my next questions in terms of um, what does that process look like in terms of managing the expectations of of what the coaching will look like in this environment? Because I've I've been in a few situations where my coaching is as I described it a, a short a short moment ago, but and it was I've actually had questions from parents, and like I said, you know they're not having fun, but when are you going to start coaching? Mm. okay it's interesting you know how, how people perceive what co coaching is so you know really interesting and i know you delved into a lot of your experience already what, what how would you define coaching yeah yeah absolutely my mission with every child i come across and i think i i did a basic calculation um midway through last year and i i i think i've taught just over a million children um in my career and that that that's not individual. That's mostly group. I mean, the largest lesson I've conducted had about 630 kids. Um, I did have helpers, by the way. It wasn't just me and a megaphone. But um, well, when you do groups like that, then, of course, it, it's massive scalability. Um, so now I'm really decisive about what, what my outcome is. And my outcome simply is to make sure that these kids that we're coaching are still playing golf when, when they're 30. That's the bottom line. The bonuses on top of that, are that these kids become really good at it. They're not going to become really good unless they really love it. And they're not going to play golf until they're 30 unless they really love it. So we've got to make sure they really love it. And how they love it and how they interact with it is then the key to these weekly opportunities to deposit into the bank of engagement. And, and I, I work it backwards that way. And I look at everything that I do. And even yesterday I was coaching... I went to this guy's house to coach 
his four kids and we did two two-hour sessions um the older two went first and the two younger ones afterwards and and even with that you know despite it being the first session i made sure that even the four-year-old was in charge of what uh, they were learning in context so i didn't give that little four-year-old any of the answers I was just asking question after question in real simple terms with a very simple task that we'd set. And she was able to, you know, after time, just give me the very basics. You know, why did you miss that? Because I hit it too far. How long did that process take? Because I'll I'll, I'll share share an experience of mine. Um, And often when I do share this experience, people are like, really? Really from that young? Uh, You know, and I'm... I worked on a, on, a, on a project where we had a group of girls who basically novices, some of them never kicked the ball before, but really interested in wanting to play football. I um, worked with them for about three years and I didn't do any sort of unopposed technical practice. I didn't do any sort of drills, any, 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 you know, any of that sort of stuff. It was literally me putting them into situations where they would do 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, and then a fun game at the end to kind of bring back to what you're saying, making sure they're still enjoying it. Now, in that process, I had girls as young as four up to, I think it was 11. So kind of similar to the foundation stage that you were talking about there. And also within that process, I didn't really, I was very, very much conscious of the fact that I'm not going to give any of these girls any answers. It's not going to happen. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask them to support them in helping them examine the context they're in. So in this case, it might be right. Um, Andrea and Sophie, right? Andrea and Sophie, you two are going to play against each other, right? Andrea, once once this uh, little round's over, I want you to just have a think about some of the challenges that are presented to you because you're playing against Sophie. And then, that you know, when you go and play the next person, we just do the same again. And then, you know, we'll go through a round, a few different rounds, a few different opponents. Right, girls, can you just share me some, you know, just share some insight around, you know, what are some of the observations you made about the different players you played against? How, what kind of challenges did that present for you? And mm-hmm. how do you think that went for you? Now, if it didn't go well, I want you to think about why. Can you share with me why? Can you share with me what you might, what you found challenging, what you might have to potentially do to get it right? Or, or maybe if you did, did do it well, maybe think, right, how does that now change? Because what we don't want to do is create a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm-hmm. Um, at least not directed by us anyway. Yeah, for sure. As an example of that, you know, I use the example of Arjen Robin, which I'm sure you know. You know, we know what he's going to do every single time. We know it. But the thing is, he's become so exceptionally good at it that even though we know it, he still is able to do it. Now, people say, oh, he's a bit of a one-trick pony. Okay, yeah, but he does that one trick better than anyone else in the world. And he understands the timing, the complexity of, you know, whether he consciously understands it or not is a separate matter, but... He understands how to implement that action to get maximal success time and time and time again. Now, I think it's really important. And, you know, this is a question I've also asked before. And of course, how important is it really for the athlete to understand what's making them 
successful. Um, and some people would say, well, I'm not too sure it is as long as they're getting success. Yeah, but what happens when they stop getting that success? What happens when they get put in front of a situation where actually they're not able to crack it? Because what the, maybe the tool they're using isn't, isn't for the right fixture mm. or whatever that might be. And I think from that, I kind of really interested to get your perspectives on just how young we can start that process from. Um, is there even, you know, because you talk there about being a parent as well. And even with my kids from as young as two, I mean, I've, I've kind of said, I don't really, I'm not really one for parents coaching their own children, but, you know, each to their own. But what I will do is potentially provoke some thought for you. I'll let you explore. I'll let you think about what you're doing and think about, okay, well, like, you know, similar to the things that we've just talked about. I don't, th- I don't actually think there is an age you need to or can start from as long as they understand the message that you're trying yeah. to trust to them oh for sure for sure i think um the 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 simplicity of the message is at its most basic the younger the child and the the, the simplicity of the task you know so we might not talk about getting a golf ball into a normal sized golf hole for a four-year-old, we might get some cones out, three cones in a line, and get them to hit one of the three cones, right? So the target's much bigger because you're creating relevant success. Um, but certainly with golf, I think more than any other sport, every single shot is different. Um, you'll never hit two shots the same effectively um, throughout your whole career. And so you you're constantly have to find appropriate solutions equally you know unless you're playing at the highest level you have no coaching midway round um you are left to your own devices to find your own appropriate solutions for each one of these situations so you have to be resilient and i think as as we look at all these various mental capabilities that we want the kids to have to in order for them to grow up and and have these uh, at their disposal when they're needed they have to be dealt with in in simple ways from an early age as possible and and like i said you can you can teach a four-year-old about responsibility you know despite the fact that i met these kids yesterday for the very first time at the end of the session you know the, the four-year-old was responsible for picking up the yellow cones that was her responsibility and then to stack them along with the other yellow cones Cones have to be in their colours, by the way. I'm, I'm so OCD. Can't have them mixed up. So um, that, that, there was that, and, and she did a great job. And um, I know we can build from that. But she also, she also jumped up and punched the air when she achieved the task of what I'd set. And she had been through maybe five, six minutes of trying to overcome this particular challenge. And what's really interesting then is, is that my skills as a coach are really put to the test because I've got to keep her engaged in that for that length of time because I know what's on the other side. I just need her to continue to break down the brick walls that are in front of her. And I've got to use all of my uh, personality and, and, I guess, girl management skills to help her through that, You know, to continue to encourage her, to help her see the light without giving her the answer. This is where we fail as parents and coaches when we feel like that child is struggling too much. And so we just give them the answer. Whereas actually that struggle 
which might go a little bit deeper, is the sweetest of all sweet spots. You know, that's the that's the golden nugget of the of the situation and the environment that you are desperately striving to create every time that you coach, because that's that's the bottom. That is the bottom that they get to. And when they're at the bottom, then they start to listen and then they start to open up and and want to find solutions. And mm-hmm. this is also where com- competition is such a huge part of it. Without competition, there's no motivation to want to get better. So, you know, um, this little four-year-old was in competition with her six-year-old brother, right? Which there's massive motivation. And I know many years ago, this idea of competition, especially for younger kids, was frowned upon. But it's absolute nonsense. You know, I, I went through that with kids yeah. uh, because I was coaching during that. And it was, it's impossible to to be an effective coach unless you've got appropriate level competition to motivate the kids to want to ask questions and to want to get better and i think that's a great point and i think it really again it comes back to perceptions is what do we perceive competition to be i think typically a lot of people would consider your yeah, competitions like you know playing the game at the end or whatever that might be and you know excuse my naivety but i'm not too sure what that would be in um in golf but my my my, my thing has always been you know if there's one thing I've picked up, it's that you can't help the players develop unless they're engaged. Now, it doesn't matter what mechanism, as long as it's safe, <laughs> that you're using to engage them. So I often just put point scoring systems on all, on a lot of the practices I use. Um, the reality is I'm never going to remember the points. And by next week, they've forgotten about the points. <laughs> so... I'm not even keeping count. I'll, I'll, I'll even, you know, I'll even delegate that task to them. Right, you need to keep count of your own score, but no cheating or whatever that might be, and just running, you know, get them to think about. Okay, well, what am I doing here? And it's written again. It helps them pay attention to the tasks involved. And I think it then, you know, then brought me to an understanding that actually I don't actually need to play games in my sessions, as long as the practice that I've put in front of them is meeting the outcomes that I'm that I'm intending to meet. And I've got them engaged in doing that, then I don't actually need to go to the game because actually one of my key things is I'm going to try and design my practices to be game-like anyway. Now, if they are game-like and they are engaged, yeah, you can argue the game might bring them closer to reality, but actually, is it still doing is it is it doing what it needs to do? And I think that's the key piece where and again having a having a discussion uh, literally this morning with someone else about one of the most common questions we get asked as coaches in, 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 in football um, is, can we play a game? Now, my thought process is this, is that actually if a player is coming to you or a series of players are coming to you and actually asking you, can we play a game? It's because they've associated that game with fun. Therefore, they've disassociated all the practices that you've done in the, in the build-up to that as not being fun. So maybe that's where you need to start because obviously as time goes on, experience experience builds. It's, it's been a long time for me personally since I've actually heard a player go out to say, yeah, yes, can we, can we play a game? Not, not because what, what I might get is, oh, can we play that specific game? Because they might have really enjoyed that specific game. Um, and I think the thing that I've understood to be able to do over time as well is actually design practices and games in a way where they're multifunctional in in i guess the outcomes that it can it can meet and outcomes that you can tap into because that way you're not then relying on a specific practice to keep players engaged but also Mm -hmm. 
if you have got a specific practice that does get players engaged, you know that you can be flexible within the structure of that practice to meet many different needs. Now, the way I explain it is right, is this is this, this is the stage. There's so many things happening on a stage, but where you put the spotlight is what we're going to pay attention to. But it's still the same activity, still the same show, still the same play. So where are you going to put the spotlight on tonight's show, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. So I'm conscious of time. And, you know, I feel, I feel like, you know, we've almost got a real synergy in here in terms of how we view coaching to be and the processes that we kind of follow. So maybe well, from your perspective, share if you've got anything else to share on that, but also maybe yeah. some things to consider for coaches around. I, I just wanted to, um, yeah, I just wanted to respond to what you were talking about, actually, because if I, if I go back to, you know, my main football coaching days, um, I, I wasn't necessarily doing this consciously, but I ended up doing it and, and I did end up making the practice element really competitive. So, you know, for example, if I'd have, you know, a, a box in which there'd be three players and one defender. And it's basically how many passes can you get um, without uh, losing the ball? And and I would always actually for, for many years now, one of my biggest, co- the biggest, um, I guess, successes is having a, uh, a whiteboard and, and just to be able to keep score or to make notes on and it's just portable. So it's always there, but, I always found that as soon as I was writing a score on a board, then the names were up in lights. You know, I'd end up giving these kids, you know, little team names and, you know, putting that down on the board and they would just naturally start to get more competitive and you'd see the energy levels go up and you'd see them getting to where you needed them to get to uh, in terms of the output. And so I think, you know, we at every possible situation that could be deemed as practice regardless of the sport i would just encourage coaches to make it competitive and to 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 bring it out that it's competitive don't just have it competitive within the three kids and the one defender but have it competitive between the four big groups that are doing this so you've got four teams of attackers you've got four teams of defenders let them all compete against each other see who comes out on top and then after round one you do round two switch them up change the defender um, but so, so the, the creativity element as the, as the coach, you've got to react to the, the, the need to create your environment and the culture you want to, you want to foster and physical environment and that culture to me go hand in hand. And you've got to continually feed that by what you say and what you do. And that creation of the competition creates that culture, you know, that, that we often hear about footballers being great on the training ground, you know, oh, he's just been phenomenal on the training ground. Yeah, but he's still on the bench. So what's going on? You know, there's something missing perhaps. But, you know, I always think that um, if if they're not putting in 100% on the practice ground, uh, whether it's golf or tennis or, or football, then, you know, you have to question your own um, processes as the coach. Right? I don't often blame athletes. I'll always look at myself as the coach first and ask what could I do differently to engage that athlete better or to get more out of them? What do I need to do? I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, just, just to kind of add to that as well, is one of the things that I've often, I've definitely started doing in the last few years in particular is 
really getting the athletes to share with me their perception, their understanding of what the expectations are as well. Because I think that helps just to manage whether the picture that they're looking at is the picture that you're trying to achieve as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, and I would st- I'd strongly state that for me, one of the worst questions you can ask in coaching is, do you understand? Mm. Um, I think coaches, should, I think that, you know, that that line should be banned from coaching. And in fact, what you need to be doing is start asking coaches more, or players more often, right? Can you explain to me what I'm looking looking for? Or yeah. can you share with me your understanding of what I've said? Or, or, or well, do you understand? Always comes after the coach has spent five minutes preaching and Precisely. talking down to the kids. Precisely. Right. So here's all the technical input, input uh, and information. Do you understand what I've just said? Right. Go and do it. Right. What? That, yeah. This is how coaches deliver golf lessons. Yeah. They get the kids together in the group. Twelve kids stood there like lemons, like uh, like this, and um, the coach will tell them how to putt, and they'll go right, go and putt, and and then they won't do what they were told. And then the coach gets frustrated. I just told you to do that. Well, um, okay. I didn't understand what you said. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's like, oh, uh, right. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you 100% on that one. So just, you know, just to kind of wrap up, wrap up then, um, Gavin, maybe give us what you would consider maybe two or three top tips for coaches to think about when they are now working with athletes, especially with younger athletes as well. And I think it's really important to kind of, you know, as an industry of coaches, not just in football, not just in golf, but you know, for us to kind of maybe cross pollinate and really understand how different mechanisms can work in different mm-hmm. sports. And actually they are quite transferable because at the end of the day, yeah. you know, beyond coaching, we are actually developing people. Yeah, for sure. And I often refer to, you know, our coaching process has to be about developing the person, developing the athlete, and then developing the golfer in that order. Um, because the third one can't happen without the second one. And then the second or third can't happen without the first one. So I think you can you can change the golfer for for footballer or for tennis player or for you know netball player whatever it is. Um, so I think that's really important. But there's one thing. There's there's only one thing. And and I ask once all of the coaches that I engage with go through the certification I've written, I'll ask them one question at the end, um, which is tell me about how you would. Um, structure your lesson tell me what you would do during your lesson how you would set it up on the, on the grounds of your environment and, and the, the building of your culture and the answer I'm simply looking for is well the first thing I'd do is just set out a challenge a game or a question or a problem and then for the kids to have time to find their own creative solutions and if if they give me that answer then they're going to be on the right track. Everything else, that the description of what I've just described there is at the very start of the whole certification. It's chapter one. And everything else that ensues beyond that feeds the uh, coach's ability to deliver on that philosophy. So building that experiential environment, creating the why is the most important thing. And so if you ask yourself as a coach, right, what do I want to achieve in this particular lesson. And actually, I think that with these foundational years, we're too complicated as coaches as well. So we we look to achieve too much out of our sessions. So if we take golf as a very simple example, if if you ask me to teach putting, I'm not going to teach putting in one lesson. I might break it down really detailed and teach just aiming at the start. So aiming at the address position, or it might be aiming at impact. So understanding what that is. And I guess it also goes back to coaches understanding the the three basic phases of 
skills acquisition. You know, the first phase typically, I think, is massively underrated and overlooked by coaches. So the cognitive phase, do your students actually know what it is you're trying to get them to do and why? Because if they don't know that, you then moving into stage two, which is the associative stage where you're trying to bring them from the understanding into the practical mm. side of things. Mm. It's just never going to materialize. It's impossible. And then heaven help you if you try and get them to be autonomous at the end, yeah. um, where they practice the skill that you want them to develop by themselves. I mean, it's carnage. So again, it's, it's build your environment, get the kids to understand why they're doing something, make sure they have the knowledge before you start to um, get them to do it practically. And you've got to be creative in how that's delivered. Mm. And it's got to be a step-by-step process. 100%. I think also just, you know, if I, if I, it's having the acceptance that actually you've set a task and not a process. Mm-hmm. You set a task, not a process. And what I mean by that is you're literally looking for an outcome. Now, yeah. if you are looking for the outcome, how much does it really matter how they achieve it? Now, that's not to say that the way that they're doing isn't the most efficient way of doing it, or it is the most efficient, but actually have they achieved the task? And I think that's the, that's the first key piece for coaches to kind of really look mm-hmm. at and consider. And then it might just be, actually, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's leave them with that. Let's, let's let them experiment. Let's let them you know, get repetitions with the, with, the, with the method that they've come up with. And mm-hmm. let's, let's just discuss, right, what do you think about this? How do you think we could maybe get quicker? How do you think maybe we can get a bit more accurate? What, what, you know, almost do a SWOT analysis. You know, what are the threats here? What, you know, what, what are the weaknesses that we might, or the challenges that we might come up against in using this technique when it might, when it might become flawed? And I think that's when we start to now brainstorm and expand for them, with them at the centre of it, what the possible out, out, um, options are for them to, I guess, achieve that task. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff in there, Gavin. A lot of stuff in there, and I think it is really, it's really pleasing to kind of know that as a coaching industry, um, not not necessarily sports specific, we're aligned in our views and thoughts because I do feel it is a very transferable thing. I do feel like mm-hmm. we need to spend more time as coaches uh, working with individuals from different sports to try and understand different perspectives and see how they can maybe be shared and applied within our own disciplines as well. Um, but no, I really enjoyed that. Gavin, just, you know, before we look to wrap up, maybe just share with the learners where, if they, if possible, they can potentially get in touch with you to maybe follow up on some of the things that have been discussed in this episode, but also maybe find out a little bit more about you if that's something they want to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Instagram's often quite a good place. Um, Gavin GW13. Um, there's some cool content on there it's not it's all about golf and coaching and and maybe the journey that my eldest is on at times because that's quite a good documentation of 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 coaching um but also then twitter which is gavin gw so you know love to engage with anybody if um if anyone wants to reach out has any questions um wants to spend a bit of time talking about something then you know i'm more than happy to do that as well Amazing. And guys, you know, hopefully you guys have enjoyed the conversation as much as I have today. Um, if you have, feel free to let me know. Drop us a comment on Twitter. That's at the coaches net. Once again, at the coaches net. Let, let us know your thoughts. Make sure you hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this on. And make sure you're sharing it as well, guys. Until next week, 
Take care. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.